0: So I'd like to give the floor to um, Professor Carlos Vargas. He's a research director and associate professor at um, COMPASS, which is based in the anthropology department. But he's also the director of a very brand new DFiL in migration studies, which will start to run in the coming academic year, which is also interdisciplinary across um, development studies, anthropology, and potentially in the future, also other disciplines. And he's also a member of um, Kellogg College. So thank you very much. Cool. Thank you, Annette, for the for, uh, invitation to speak to the seminar. Uh, to the seminar, uh, This uh, particular piece of research uh, is uh, part of a bigger project on the impacts of forced migration, on the impact of hosting refugees, and refugees returning home. Uh, it's a project uh, that ran from about 2013 to 2016. It was funded by DFID. Uh, as part of their growth and labor market and income uh, program. And is joint work uh, with Isabel uh, Ruiz. Now, in order to to set the stage, uh, first of all, uh, once you have refugees in one place, and you're thinking about long-term solution, there are three things that you can do with them. You can integrate them locally. And for the most part, countries don't want that, right? They don't want the refugees to stay. You can resettle them, reset them in another country. So you can send them to a, to a third country. And of course, that means the agreement on the third country. As you know, the biggest resettlement program is the one from the United States. And obviously, Donald Trump has reduced that significantly. And the third option, which is what we call the primary one, because it would be the one preferred by everyone, is that you, should, you could return refugees back home. So it's refugee repatriation. Okay? And this is the one which we are going to, to explore. And when we started uh, thinking about this, uh, the first thing that came to mind is just look at the, I mean there's a lot of evidence on the return migration literature about what happens when people go back home. And for the most part, it's very good news. So migrants in general, they go back home, they have knowledge of new markets, they might have learned about new business strategies, techniques of production, they might gain some skills related to language, uh, now they have transnational connections because they have been living in another country. Uh, and most of these results say that they are more likely to be interveners. They are more likely to bring uh, innovation. In terms of the conflict and related topics, support for democracy. All of these things tend to increase uh, with the return uh, of migrant. So there's substantial evidence of these uh, positive uh, effects. Now, in the displacement context, uh, then it's different. So, that, that is a traditional experience base that we have. The displacement context is different. Right? For one, uh, to start, I mean, a lot of these people, uh, when they are in the other country, they have restrictions on so labor market uh, uh, access, on mobility, we in camps. So, the idea that they're going to acquire some new skills that are going to bring home uh, is not there. So, that possibility is not there. Uh, return is often disorganized, it's often sudden. Sometimes it's the three things, sometimes it's just one of these uh, aspects. And obviously, they are affected, returning to countries that have been affected by conflict and might not be uh, prepared. So, population increase resulting from return flows might lead to uh, competition for scarce resources such as food uh, and land. And and there's people that have said this before. So, people have said, look, returnees going back home might cause these problems. Uh, But this something now has not been quantified. So one of the things that we are doing is quantifying up to what degree is this true and how long does it take to have uh, uh, some convergence? Another thing to keep in mind is that return, uh, you can have a lot of uh, people returning home every year. So this is just, we collected the five-year periods. And you take, for instance, the period 1990. 1994, about 8 million people uh, return home. Refugees, about 8 million refugees return home. That has been decreasing over time because protracted displacement has been increasing. But if you hear the discussions about Syria and some of these conflicts, a lot of the discussion is about when can we send uh, refugees uh, back home? And if you think about countries, uh, some countries, as Afghanistan, Iraq, Mozambique, Rwanda, Sudan. And of course, these countries differ in the population size, but at some point, these countries receive over 350,000 people uh, back, refugees back, in a single uh, year. And the one thing that we have done in the past, we have uh, explored the consequences of return for returnees, and most of the evidence is based on that. So, if a refugee, a refugee goes abroad and the person returns home, most of the evidence is about comparing that individual to the people who actually stay, But what happens to those communities of origin that are receiving the refugees that's less explored? And that is uh, what we are going to be doing uh, in the project. So we are going to look at the case of of Burundi. Uh, Burundi is a country that experienced large scale uh, outflow of of migration and large repatriation. Uh, We have longitudinal data that we have collected uh, in the country. And we are going to focus on those uh, stay houses, those who never uh, left the country. And then a bit more technical, we we'll are going to use geographical features of the community of origin in order to, to do our statistical analysis for identification purposes. Now, let me give you some background on the, the case story. Uh, so Burundi experienced a major conflict in 1993. Uh, it has some of the same features of the Rwandan conflict, but, but they're a bit different. But it's essentially tensions between Hutus and, and Tutsis. Uh, and when that conflict happened in 1993, about 10% of the population was internationally displaced. Many people were displaced internally and returned home after a while. But there was a large international uh, displacement. And the main destination was uh, Tanzania, that at the time was the main safe haven uh, for refugees. And this is just to give you an idea. This is uh, the number of Burundian refugees in Tanzania. One thing is that there were about 150,000 refugees there already in 1992. Those are from a previous conflict in the 1970s. Uh, there's a spike when the conflict started in 1993. Then there's a return home. And then there's the actual uh, increase in the number of, uh, of refugees. And around the year 2000, uh, there was a peace agreement signed. But it took about nine more years after the peace agreement for the refugees uh, to go uh, back home. I'm going to use this figure like twice more, because I'm going to make different points. But the uh, figure is going to change a little. Now, one thing to keep in mind is that once they were in Tanzania, uh, they were not given land for agricultural activities. Uh, many engaged initially in coastal employment. And we have story a lot uh, what happened then. So. What was the implication of hosting these refugees in Tanzania? So we have done a lot of that initial analysis. But what happened over time uh, was that the Tanzanian government, about five years after, after their arrival, said, well, look, you cannot leave camps. You are limited to four kilometers around the camp. And you cannot engage in economic activities outside the camp. Okay? And this means, uh, if you go back to the story of return migration, this means that they were not acquiring any skills that they were going to bring uh, back home. And then after a few years, the government decided that it was time to close the camps. uh, uh, And then they returned the refugees uh, uh, to Burundi. And this happens here. So the peace agreement is in the year 2000. And around the year 2009 is when the period of return uh, finishes. Uh, I'm going to explain in, in a minute, but essentially, the data that we collect is for this period. So we collect data for this period between 2009 and 2015. And then there's another uh, outflow of refugees. So Burundi at the moment is in another uh, conflict situation uh, uh, that is happening. I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but that is not going to be affecting the data that we are going to be uh, uh, discussing. So everything that i in Burundi is going to happen in this period when the refugees were back home. So what we did is we wanted to store Uh One thing to keep in mind is that at the moment that we're storing this, we are thinking that the country is peaceful. So we are storing a country after I know the term post-conflict might be a bit controversial among some of you, but uh, for us a post-conflict society. So this process of return has finished, and we want to see how these people are settling in, how are they doing compared to other people, and how are the communities that are receiving them. Uh, uh, what is happening in the communities that are receiving them? So we went to Burundi. Uh, we collected data uh, in January and March 2001 and 2015. Uh, we collected data in 1,500 households, so it's a, it's a, it's a panel. Uh, we also interviewed 100 community leaders, so one in each of the communities. And we are going to use all of that data in the analysis. And the re-interview rate in rural Burundi is very high because there's, there's not that much mobility across the country. So we were able to find about over 90% of the households. So this is Burundi. Uh, Just for reference, uh, Tanzania is here. Rwanda and the DRC is on this side. Uh, Each of these dots is one community that we visited. Uh, We interviewed 15 households in each of those communities. And we collected data for all the members of the household. As I mentioned, the president announced in April that uh, he was running for a third term in office. And this caused another wave of of conflict um, uh, in Burundi. However, this announcement came in April 2015. And we finished the data collection in March 2015. So to a certain degree, there's no causality between those two things. But we left the country just before the the announcement of the the, the president. So in some sense, all the analysis that I'm going to be talking to you about is in a country that is supposedly a country that has returned to peace and in which there's no more civil strife. I, as I mentioned in the analysis, we are interested in those who never left the country. So when we we'll limit the sample to those people, we have about 754 households that we can observe in 2011 and 2015. Those live in 87 different communities. and for technical reasons, we have to exclude Bujumbura, the, the country, uh, the capital of the country uh, from the analysis. So we are interested in different parameters. One is uh, livestock. Livestock in Burundi is the main source of of capital accumulation. So this is what they have to measure uh, measure wealth. Uh, In this case, we are going to be literally adding chickens and cows. So we have to create an index that's going to compare those two. It's going to allow for a comparison of different types of animals. Uh, So we use something called tropical livestock units. We are going to use measures of uh, subjective well-being, so how uh, people are doing uh, according to their their own description. And we are going to then go and look at different factors such as land access, uh, food security, health, and um, insecurity in general. And This is estimation, so so this is our outcome of interest. And the main thing to know from here is that what we want to know is how that share of refugees in this community is going to be affecting uh, this outcomes. So four states, so for people who never left. So how receiving these people back from Tanzania and some others from other countries around the region is going to affect uh, the well-being. Of course, while. Well, as economists, this is where we stop. You can think about in the general conflict context about you know if this is going to have uh, economic uh, impacts on the receiving uh, community. Of course, it might lead to conflict and bring new uh, tensions. Uh, We're going to show you the, the results for 2011 and 2015, so for both years. And just to let you know, the share of returnees in the population varies from zero to 62 percent. So there are communities in which no one is a returnee, there are communities in which two-thirds of the residents are actually uh, returnees. One of the big things here is, uh, is there going to be any bias in the analysis? If you think about it, can someone stay back from this 1990 group? Can someone stay in Tanzania? So it may be that only the best, the most successful people return, or maybe they're less, they're less, uh, the least successful people return. And the answer to that part is no. So everyone had to leave uh, Tanzania uh, at that moment. I mean, there might be a few that would stay as irregular, but in general, they have to leave the camps. So there's nothing about staying back home. The second point is you have to go back to your country, of, uh, to your community of origin, because you can get land there, and this is one of the big tensions. Uh, the peace agreement that led to the end of the conflict said refugees can go back home and they can claim land. But obviously, once they go home, that land has been used by other people. Uh, there's the tension of you know you have to share the land between, between the two of you, but it's the only place that they can get land. So everybody's returning uh, uh, back home, and there's this violence about. I mean, this is all this evidence about exposure to conflict and violence uh, being granted. However, the problem that we have, and this is uh, something well established in this kind of forced migration literature, is if you come from a wealthy family, wealthier family, the likelihood that you're going to flee the country in the phase of violence is higher. Okay? So it means that the people that were in Tanzania, the ones that actually left the country during the conflict, were the wealthier uh, families and the wealthier communities. So those communities with more uh, 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 out-migration were wealthier. If you don't come from a wealthy family, then you use some other coping mechanism. You might be internally displaced, you might use some other uh, way to deal with violence, but if you come from a wealthy family, uh, you leave. So that means that in the analysis, when we see return, obviously you are going to have more returnees given that everyone was forced to return. You're going to have more returnees in those communities in which more people left. Essentially, we are going to have more returnees in the wealthier. Communities. Okay? And that's going to have implications for the result. The way to go around that is to find some reason for which people are going to defer in their chances, communities are going to defer in their chances of having more or less refugees. Okay? And that's why we use geographical factors uh, for that. So this means if you have two countries equally affected by violence. Geographical factors, among them, how far is Tanzania? So distance to the border, altitude uh, of the place that you're looking at is going to have a big effect on whether you have displacement or not. One thing is in Burundi, all this displacement was by foot. So people were walking to Tanzania. So distance plays a key role. Geographical features uh, play a key role. So we use just geographical features in order to identify our model. And I'm not going to talk much about this, just to say that these geographical features actually seem to be strongly correlated with the uh, level of displacements uh, in a given community. Now, one thing you can argue is, well, these geographical features are also potentially related to the same factors that you're trying to explain. So they might be related to how much livestock do you have. These features might be related to Uh, how much land do you have, it might be related to the class level, so how much education do you have. So geographical features might be related to those factors. And one thing that we have is that we have that information for the pre-conflict period. So from before the conflict, we know for those households that existed then, how much livestock they had then and how much land they had then. And we can see if factors related to proximity to the border or depth, meaning you know, uh, differences in the, in the in the in the structure of the place in terms of altitude, are related to pre-war life, to so pre-war land, how much education these households have, whether they had finished uh, primary school. And we do that analysis, and we find that uh, these factors are not correlated. So we feel very confident that by using these geographical factors, we are not biasing the results. Now, I'm going to show you the results. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, uh, livestock. One thing about the results is that the numbers that I'm going to show you are not going to explain much. So I have have the paper here with the actual uh, interpretation of the estimates, uh, just to let you know what they mean. But this is the estimate for uh, livestock and well-being. So this is essentially for the year 2011. This is the coefficient that we are looking at. This is for the year 2015 and this is combined for the two years. Okay? Now without talking about the meaning of the coefficient yet, one thing you can see is that the coefficient is doubled in size in 2015. Okay? So that means that things such as this impact of return, is getting basically worse over time. So these households, same households, are worse in 2015. Uh, with more returnees are worse in 2015 than in 2011. Uh, the interpretation of that uh, particular one uh, for so basically this coefficient right here is that if you increase the share of returnees by one percentage of points uh, you are going to have a reduction in tropical livestock units of 0.01 you translate that into animal that's like more, about one chicken less per household, per adult household member. And that's about a 5% reduction with regards to the average. Now, another point is how do people perceive themselves? Do they perceive themselves to be worse off or better off after if they have more in the community? And here, interestingly, contrary to the actual estimates that we have, when we look at subjective well-being, uh, there's a strong impact on the first round in 2011. But that impact is a lot smaller. The coefficient is a lot smaller in 2015, and it's not statistically significant. So while in terms of livestock, fins seems to be getting worse, in terms of how do you feel about it, and this subjective well-being, it seems that the effect, perhaps people have been getting used to it, the effect is actually uh, smaller. Another thing that you can ask is, well, it might be the case that, you know, as I showed you, if you remember from that first chart, some of these people returned in 1996, some of these people returned in 2006, so they have returned in very different periods. So maybe it is not just any returnees, it's just a recent returnees, the ones that are having a, a, a big effect. And we can do that, So because in the data, we know when people return, so we can create a variable, which is about the recent returnee share uh, and see what happens. And other than than I don't want to interpret these coefficients, but just to tell you that these coefficients are much larger than the previous ones, and that means that the effect is much stronger for those communities that are hosting recent returnees, meaning those communities that have received large inflows during the last ten years. Okay, so the effect is much more stronger for those communities. That's true for the actual effect. That's true for the. Uh, 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 a subjective uh, well-being measure. It is, for both cases, it is, it is the case that those communities that have received a lot are suffering uh, more. Another important variable for us was uh, uh, land. So what is happening with land? As I mentioned, people could come back, and once they come back, they had a right for the, to their land, But most people, when they got back home, somebody had their land. Uh, Some cases, family members have sold their land. Some cases, the government, the local government had given the land to someone else. So these people have been away from 10, 15 uh, years. So uh, there was these commissions that were put in place in order to solve these disputes. And about 90% of the solutions to these problems was now they have to share land. So one question is, what happened to land access? Of these, uh, uh, of the STEs people who didn't migrate when the refugees came back, when they have large uh, refugee uh, influence. And the result uh, is, as, as before, is negative and it also gets worse over time. And just to interpret that so, one percentage point in the share of refugees in the population is going to lead to a 0.05 hectares reduction in land holdings for stay, stay households. That's about a 4%, 4%, 4% reduction with regards to the mean. Okay? So, it's a big decrease in land for those communities that actually have uh, a lot of needs. This is something that we expected. Um, for a group like you that look at this in the conflict context, it might be something that down the line can lead to, to conflict. There's also uh, uh, the question about food security. So, what happened to the food? Uh, security uh, of, of these uh, communities that are receiving large number of, of refugees. And it is the fact is negative. The good news is that it becomes insignificant in the second, uh, in the second uh, period. Uh, but essentially, it says a 1 percentage point increase in the share of returnees in a community leads to a 1 percentage point increase in the likelihood of experiencing full, difficult, full difficulties on a daily basis. So one percentage point higher number of revenue there are revenue needs, leads to a one percentage point higher uh, likelihood of uh, food difficulties, which is almost a one-to-one relationship. But as I said before, that relationship is only for the year uh, 2011. For the year 2015, even if these households actually have less land and they have less livestock, food difficulties uh, uh, don't seem to be a problem anymore. One factor that uh, we also look at is health and crime. The health aspect is important because there were a series of stories done at the time uh, when uh, the Burundian refugees were in Tanzania. And in all stories, uh, all those studies, uh, this was a community that was very poor in terms of health. So the likelihood of the incidence of malaria, for instance, was very, very high. And these people are returning home, so are they bringing uh, some of these things back home. What are the implications of this? Uh, and we don't see any significant impact. So even if these uh, Burundian communities abroad were suffering serious, for serious uh, health problems, it doesn't seem that that translated into poorer health outcomes for the local community. Something else that we did with health, because we have children, we have small children, uh, that were under uh, five years of age in the first round. So we can see them when they are, let's say, five, and when they are 10, uh, five years later. We follow those children to see those children in communities with more return needs, who more affected in terms of health, their height, their weight, or anything. It doesn't seem to be the case. Okay? Crime is an important one. So is this inflow of refugees leading to more crime. Uh, as I, you know, in our previous stories, we show how labor market opportunities are limited uh, for these uh, refugees. Uh, But it doesn't seem to be the case that they are affected uh, by crime. Something else that we did was uh, to explore what was the response of these households to the presence of of, of refugees. You can think about if you live in one community and suddenly the population of the community doubles because there are a lot more refugees, you move to another community. right? So they could be the locals, the, the stayees, as we call them, could be moving across communities. Or it might be the case that if there's a big inflow of of refugees, uh, returnees, into your community, maybe instead of just working the land, you change occupations to do uh, something else, right? You change to a different occupation. So we explored these potential uh, possibilities, and there was no response. There was no mobility. And this is interesting, because Burundi has very little mobility across regions among other reasons, because land is scarce everywhere. So if refugees come to your community and they, you have to share land with them, it's not like you can just go to the next uh, community and have land uh, somewhere else. Interestingly, the same thing across occupations. It's a very simple economy. In advanced economies, we see a lot of times that when this migration, people change the jobs that they were doing before. This is not the case uh, yeah, in Burundi. Now, let me give you. Uh some conclusions uh, from our story. I mean in general what we wanted to the de- what we wanted to talk about was about this scarcity of evidence about what happens when you have uh, refugee repatriation, so people go back home. We know substantially about what happens to refugees and how do they compare with other people, but we don't know what happens to those communities that are actually receiving uh, the the refugees. The, Findings of the paper actually find some worrisome uh, aspects. Those communities receiving a lot of refugees have less livestock. Uh, they have they are worse economic conditions, subjective economic conditions, and uh, this could be to a large degree driven by the land access and the land agreements that they were, and and the the results regarding food uh, security. Now, one positive side of the story, if you want to call it positive is that this food security aspect, and in fact, the subjective well-being also disappears for the second round of the survey. So at the beginning, it was very big. Then it disappears. The livestock and land access aspect is remains constant. In fact, gets worse over time. So it seems that houses are adjusting uh, in some way uh, to this. Now, one thing uh, I want to end with this uh, is to talk about whether this is uh, applicable to our situation. So, but Burundi is a very specific uh, case story. So it's this that I'm telling you about uh, applicable to other cases. And I think you need three things in order for this to be true in other places. First of all, you need refugees who do not have access to a labor market or to economic opportunities. So essentially, they're not gaining any skills or a- creating any financial capital while they are abroad. So basically, they're, they're not bringing those skills back. And in fact, you could argue that losing skills while they're abroad if they're not economically active. Uh, You need, uh, obviously, some kind of a country with scarce natural resources. So if you come back to a country that has a lot of resources, so imagine the case that you have these problems of land access food security, because you have a a lot of land access. Uh, And third, uh, you need, essentially, that the reason that the refugees are returning is that the host country, in some way, I mean, forcing might be a strong way, but the home country is pushing them. So in this case, it's kind of a voluntary uh, return. So they're not planning for a successful of return home. They would have preferred to stay in the, in the in the other country. So you can have these three things. Uh, what we have looked at case stories. You can think about different case stories. I mean, Somalia, Kenya, Somalia can be one in which uh, people are limited in the economic activities that they can do. Uh, to a large degree, many of them are pushed, if not forced, being a strong word, but pushed to return home. And they're returning to a country in which there's not much uh, available. Uh, maybe Afghanistan has some of the similar uh, features uh, in this case. Okay? So this is very specific to, to this particular set of situations. In, in this particular set of situations, refugee return uh, is going to have negative consequences. You can think about it from the political stability context, it might also have implications for political stability. Thank you.